The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Mile high. Welcome back to the Merge Media Academy Studios, 5280 Podcast Studio, here for sharing our stories. Brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. My name is Slim, along with Tomas Hernandez, Nani Al Jalil, and our guest, Osvaldo Ozzy Cabral from Commerce City. And if you're uh, checking in for the first time ever, welcome to Sharing Our Stories. This program is about addiction. And recovery. Everybody in this room has, has dealt with addiction uh, and is in recovery. Uh, Tomas runs Tribe Recovery Homes, which is um, a, a treatment center here in the Mile High to help people uh, reentry from from jail, rehabilitation, recovery, all the above. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, um, what's cool about tonight's guest is actually we got the person that actually runs it. I'm the founder. Um, well, this guy, this yes, guy runs this it. Guy, this, this guy, guy here, this guy actually this guy runs it. Before yeah. this program started, has been a complete knucklehead down the hallway. Yeah, you yeah. put him in charge Absolutely. of helping people in their yes. recovery. I put a man that drinks Commerce City water in charge. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know what? Honestly, having met you, Ozzy, I could say there's probably not a better person because I can see all the heart and love you have, man. You're just a really genuinely good guy. And uh, I met your friend Aubrey. He came in, yeah. you know, a couple of, of months ago. Yeah. Yeah, your buddy, your friend, and yeah, he, uh, he spoke really. Really highly about you, <laughs> <laughs> so Ozzy, we're really we're 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 honored to have you here as our guest. Why don't Thanks you know? Me. Normally, I ask Tomas what what happens at Tribe Recovery Homes, but why don't I ask you? Tell me what what your opinion is of, of what goes yeah. on at Tribe Recovery Homes. You can still ask Tomas. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Tribe Recovery is is awesome. It's a family. It's um, you know people come out of um, jail, DOC. They come out of homelessness. They're just broken when they get there and they're looking for a family, a place to, um, belong. They're looking for support. And, uh, we connect them with all of that. You know, we get them jobs, we get them, um, medical care, we get them housing, we get them social assistance. We build a family around them and, and, uh, and then we watch them just grow and, you know, turn into these productive members of the social system that, you know, we know they all want. So, um, tribe is, it's awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a heart. It's part of it's part of who you are now. Yeah. How long yeah, have you been thanks there? to Tomas. I think three years. Three years. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Yeah. It's it's a blur. We yeah. we've blown up so fast and we're just so connected. Um to say that I could no longer say that I run it. I founded it. We are like a living cell. We all play yeah. a part. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way that one person can run yeah. tribe. There's there's no possible way, the way it's 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 become it's like when people say that they want to they want to create a community like you can't just like go out in Aurora, and and just run Aurora. It's like saying Mayor Kaufman runs Aurora, not impossible. You know what I mean? It's like with our with our little sub community that we have, everybody plays an intricate part. Yep, and and everybody's equally important all the way down how we've created it to to people like Jenna that run the housing to just the simple things yeah. that, that are done daily to the community Maurice service cooking. people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or he's cooking to the community service people picking up and making sure it looks nice out in the front. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's uh it's, it's really a, a cool situation when, when you, when you come there because the neighbor bumming cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> to him calling and making you telling us that somebody broke in the, in the building again. <laughs> hey Tomas, somebody broke yeah. in, the, in the place again, bro. We know we've had so many guests here that have been people that, that are employed with tribe recovery. And I think that says it right there yeah. is that what's so cool is you employ people that have been in addiction and are in recovery. And I, I, do you have anybody who isn't? Like, I'm sure there's a couple yeah, who yeah. have not dealt with addiction in their life directly. Yeah, so, you know. But you have so many people that speak from experience. Well, there isn't anybody that, I mean, there, everybody has dealt with addiction on some level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, nobody that hasn't, like, dealt with an addict or had a 
family member. Yeah, I mean, okay. everybody's been touched on some way mm. and not that type of touched. Yeah. 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 You know, what he means is, what he means is no, I mean, everybody, you know, when, when you work in this type of thing on an interview, usually somebody's going to reveal their heart light to it. You know, somebody's usually lost a family member, has a family member that's that's been been touched by addiction like you know just like our our engineer on, and producer on on the show daniel talking with him the other morning about his family members you know that's that's somebody that's that's been touched by by addiction and, and really important about things mm-hmm. that's happening you know our accountants um you know uh, we have we have our billers they've they've, they've they, they don't have any addiction problems themselves but you know they work really hard because family members mm-hmm. have been been touched by it like i mean yeah, uh, it's also at the same time we have some people that have degrees that are equally important that we work with that are in the community that don't have that lived experience but are, are really important and really good at their jobs. So you do need, like a lot of people have this this myth that it's just about lived experience people because we are a peer-to-peer model. Mm-hmm. You really have to utilize the community on, on all levels mm-hmm. because like what Ozzy just just spoke very eloquently and not so eloquently um (laughs) (laughs) that um that um yeah that that you it it takes it takes a village Mm -hmm. you know what i mean to to really get this done everybody has their equal importance into this um and it's awesome to see tribe recovery homes is expanding mile high it's been expanding into las vegas um learn more about tribe recovery homes tribe recovery homes.com um but uh, what is your official title, Ozzy? Uh, they call me clinical director. I clinical call myself director. director of clinical services. Okay. Yeah. So and today, he's a senior director of clinical services. Yeah. So now he's a national director. Senior yeah. director of clinical services. Yeah. yeah. So what that means is he watches. He's just recently he watches over Colorado and Nevada. Well, today, Malhai, our guest is the Senior Director of Clinical Services from Tribe Recovery Homes, Ozzy Cabral, Osvaldo mm-hmm. Cabral, oh. and uh, want to thank you for coming in, and we want to turn this over to you, Malhai, uh, our guest this morning, Ozzy Cabral from Commerce City. <clears throat> All right. Bialino Chime. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Um, just to wrap that up, I just want to say, you know, I, I really loved what Tomas said that that tribe is an organism because it is you know and and uh it's uh this this um gorilla that has a heartbeat of its own it's got a higher power of its own and and um we're all just there for the ride which is awesome but so i don't know if you, I, I just start telling my story is yeah, that what you man. want this, yeah start from the beginning start wherever right. you feel well it all started when i was three my father wouldn't take me to the circus <laughs> <laughs> I was a deprived it's always, child. It's, it's always, that's the spot. Yeah. You know? The infatuation with animals began with spiders. <laughs> no, not really. No, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. This has been a, a crazy journey, you know, and it's been an awesome journey. And it, it's, uh, you know, I got clean July 13th of 2000. So um, I got 23 years and I still feel very young in my recovery. I still do everything that I did when I first got clean, you know, um, and uh, I'm really thankful for that. I don't ever want to feel like I got this thing because I really don't. I'm still pretty sick. You know, you can talk to people that know me and that I got a lot of issues. But I think, um, you know, for me, um, I was this kid who just pretty similar to a lot of stories. I just didn't I didn't feel like I belonged. You know, as this young kid and um, I went through um, some trauma as a kid um, and I had a dad who um, who drank a lot. You know, my sister um, is going to get mad at me because I said that because she's very, very defensive of my father. Um, but I had a, a dad who drank a lot and a dad who um, liked to take it out on me. Um, and I went through a lot of with stuff with that, you know. Um, and I think uh, I, I just was different than his other kids, you know. And uh, so... Coming out of a trauma, you know, I'm, I'm something that a lot of men don't talk about, but I'm a survivor of child sex abuse. I was abused between the ages of five and nine. And I think coming out of that, 
I felt like a big part of me was taken away. It was like this, this manhood was robbed from me, you know, and I really didn't know. I just didn't belong, you know, and I hated at nine, I hated myself, you know? And, um, so it was real easy to, um, start smoking some weed at 11, you know? And I remember getting high and thinking, holy crap, man, I love this stuff, you know? Um, cause it changed and I laughed and, um, I smiled and, um, you know, and, and, um, I made some friends that way. And from 11, you know, there was this, this girl who lived across the street from me, across the street, two houses down from my mom's house. And, um, she was my age. So, uh, we were 12 and she looked like she was about 14, 15. And so there was a guy that was 16 and she was telling him that she was six, 15 and, he started dating, he started giving her Coke and, um, you know, and then she would give it to me and we would, uh, we just started using a lot of Coke at 12. You know, at that time I was just snorting it. Um, but we were using a lot of Coke and then he found out her age and we were about 13 years old then. And, um, and so he like freaked out, left. And so here we were, these kids who were smoking weed and doing a load of Coke. And, um, and so we, uh, we went looking for, um, some coke and we found uh meth you know and that was at 13 and so we started using that and um well and backing up a little bit i had family members who um did um who were manufacturing up in kelly and you know um i kind of carried a little bit of stuff here and there between family members um when I was just growing up, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it. And, uh, so I was kind of already introduced into that kind of lifestyle. And so at, at 12, 13 started using, um, meth. And then, um, I had a cousin. <clears throat> this is part of the reason that I like to tell my story is I get to tell, I get to talk about people who that I ran into growing up and that kind of saved this little kid who was just trying to live and there's a lot of people who are gone or passed away. And um, I get to say their name and say this, this person played a big part of my life and um, helped me get through a lot of shit stuff, you know. And so um, I had a cousin and he was like a brother to me. And, and we would go to California and stay there. He'd come to Denver and stay. And he was one of us. He was an addict and, and uh, he struggled with crack. Um, he came down when I was 15 years old to live with us trying to get clean. And, you know, I was, I was already messed up, meth, coke. And uh, he asked me if I knew where to get some stuff. And we went and got it. And next, you know, we were rocking things up. And off I was at 15 years old, full-blown crackhead. And, um, man, that was one thing that destroyed me at that age, you know. And uh, so I hit the streets. I left my parents' house because I was mad at my dad. I was mad at the world. And at that time, my dad kind of started slowing down and, and not drinking, you know? And so, but by that time I had all these resentments and it was just too late, you know? And, and, uh, I hit the streets and, um, I started, you know, sleeping in parks and, um, you know, homeless. And I started staying at, uh, this lady, her name is Shirley. May she rest in peace. She was this big obese lady. She sat on this couch and, um, she'd wake up in the morning, she had this little garden hose and she'd put it in her mouth and she'd go into convulsions like clockwork every day. She'd go into convulsions, she'd take it out and she'd start drinking beer, peppermint schnapps and Seagram seven all day long. You know, she was like this uh, old uh, uh, prostitute who, you know, went to prison for the mysterious murder of a John and blah, blah, blah. It was a crash pad for ki kids like me, you know? And so it was up in commerce and, um, and so I started hanging out there and it was a messed up place. It was a messed up place. Um, and, you know, she loved me enough to, to laugh with me, give me a place to stay. And, and um, you know, and at some point they started manufacturing LSD. And, uh, and so me and at that time I met a, a friend. Um, I tried to jump him for his weed, but it, it didn't go very well. But we became <laughs> friends, you know, and um uh, and, and that's the way it is, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a fighter and I fought a lot and I've got my ass kicked a lot and sometimes I've won, you know, whatever. But uh, um, so him and I started living over at Shirley's and um, he started dating her, her daughter and stuff. And, and uh, they were manufacturing LSD. And, and so here I was all cracked out. My cousin was couldn't, you know, he had to go back to California. It just, you know, didn't work for him here. And 
Um, and I remember like a year and a half of my life, like wishing the walls would just stop breathing, you know, and melting. Cause I was tripping so much and I was so whacked out on crack and, and, um, and I just wanted it to friggin' stop. I think that's the first time I, I was, I wanted something different, you know, started turning 16 and, um, at 17, I thought, you know what, I, I got to get clean. I got to do something different. And I told myself I wouldn't drink cause my dad, you know, and, and, um, so at 17, I said, I was this long haired kid, you know, listened to Slayer suicidal tendencies and minor threat and all of them. And, and, um, so I thought, I'm going to go to California and live with my aunt who is like a mom to me. She was my cousin's mom. I said, I'm going to live there and I'm going to see if there's anything different. You know, it was, like I said, I was sleeping in parks and, and all that. And, and, uh, I moved to California and, uh, I remember I dropped some acid, jumped on the, um, um, Greyhound and listened to Zeppelin's going to California all the way there, you know, and got there and, and, um, same stuff. You know, I started hanging out with the people. I didn't think that like drinking at that time was using. And so I thought, well, told myself I'd never drink, but I'm going to start drinking, you know, cause it's just alcohol and whatever. And so I started drinking and that led to everything else. And then, you know, um, up in, uh, LA in LA, I used to go down there a lot. I found, uh, um, heroin and, um, and I started using you know, I started using some H and back then we used to call it here on because uh, once you tried it, you're from here on, you know. And so uh, we, we say here on or H, you know, and Nani knows that. But anyway, so I started using out there and that was crazy, man. You know, um, L.A. for a kid hitchhiking up and down the coast was a scary thing, man. I You know, jumping into cars and going through a lot of experiences there, you know, um, I got picked up by a van full of skins once and they beat the crap out of me and they threw me behind a dumpster at this gas station, leaving me for dead. And, you know, I had a lot of experiences like that hitchhiking. Um, and, uh, but that never stopped me. You know, I still had to get down to the hell. A. I still had to go do what I needed to do and stay high, you know? And, and, um, I came home one day, uh, to my aunt's house in Oxnard and she said, uh, um, she said, I'm leaving. All her shit was packed. All her stuff was packed. And she said, I'm leaving. And uh, she said, I, you're not even my kid. I can't handle you. I can't handle my own kid. You guys are messed up. I'm, I'm out of here, you know? And so she moved down to, to Paris uh, about uh, three and a half hours. Uh, you know, we, I was one and a half, about one and a half hours north of L.A. She moved one and a half hours south. But cutting through L.A., you know, it adds a couple hours there. So she, she moved a long way. And um, I was on the street again. And, um, you know, I couldn't live with, my cousin was married at the time and he had two kids, couldn't live with him because his wife hated me. She thought I was the problem, you know, all that stuff. And I ended up on the streets and there was a beach out there. If any, you know, listener knows it, it's Port Wanimi beach. And, um, I used to go there, you know, and I used to crash on that beach, you know, I used to live there basically and sleep on that beach and, uh, and, uh, cry and, and wonder what the hell I was going to do. And, um, you know, when I got into a fellowship, they told me in my second step that I had to come to believe in a power greater than myself. And um, my first higher power was the ocean. Because I remember sitting there, and I'm telling you, it gets dark on that beach, and you meet some crazy people there. And it was it was pretty scary. Um, and regardless, there was still this comfort. I would listen to the ocean, and that ocean carried my grandmother's voice and, and, um, I would listen to the ocean and, and I just felt comforted, you know, like I knew somewhere something was going to be okay because of that thing. And so when I had to pick higher power, I was like, well, I'm not going to do this white male Christian deity, you know, male centric, um, God, I'm not, you know, I don't know my native roots too well, you know, because I've been running from all that. And so, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the ocean and my, my reasons were it's bigger than me. It feeds me because I like a lot of seafood and fish and uh, it could kill me. You know, those three things were my first beginnings of my belief. You know, it's bigger than me. It, it feeds me. It could kill me. And so I just started talking to the, and praying to this, this ocean. And so that's, you know, coming on to the road to recovery, you know? Um, so I stayed there and um, I was enrolled in school never really went. 
And then um, there was an English teacher there. I can't remember her name. And I wish I did. She was a beautiful, beautiful lady dying of um, throat cancer. And she could barely talk. She was still teaching. She lived in Ventura. And she, um, you know, I would only go to her class. And then I'd ditch the rest of the time. And she said, she said, you know, if you uh, come to my house and do some yard work, I'll pay you. And at first I thought, She's kind of crazy because what Mexican does yard work, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who does yard work and they're brown? I don't get it. So, um, so I said, yeah, okay. So I would hitchhike. I would get over to um, Ventura, which is where she lived, and I would do some yard work. And we would sit in her backyard, and she would talk to me about, um, you know, uh, Charles Bukowski and Burroughs and. You know, and all of these poets and uh, music and um, all of these uh, um, literature and, and, you know, I was fascinated by that stuff. And and, um, and she gave me something valuable, you know. I'm still, you know, I used to write a lot of slam poetry and poetry and perform it, but I, I don't anymore, you know. And uh, so I used to do all that crap and, and um, you know, I loved that stuff. And she gave me enough money to get a Greyhound ticket to come back to, to Commerce City and so... I bought a ticket, jumped on the train or the bus, you know, back then it was all Greyhound. We didn't fly anywhere, you know? And, <laughs> and so, um, got back here, Shirley had died of, you know, mysterious circumstances or whatever. And, um, and I got here and, uh, um, you know, I, I picked up in the same place. It's like, wherever you go, there you are. Right. That's what we hear all the time, you know? And, this time is going to be different is not the way it was. And so I think I was uh, 21, 20 years old. And I thought, all right, we were drunk one day, me and a friend. And, um, and I was like, you know what, man, let's just, let's just join the army. You know, let's just join the army and get clean. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's, he's right now the time when I cuss so he can edit it out. I get it. It's all good. So, um, got a few. so yeah, I know. I'm sorry. But anyway, so, um, so I said, let's, we were drunk and I said, let's join the army. Like it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I said, let's join the army, you know, and the next morning I went to the recruiter's office and he didn't show up and I joined the army, man. I joined the army. I was, a, I, you know, uh, was a medic in the army and, um, I was like, holy crap, you know, I'm going to do something. And uh, always something with drugs. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the crazy thing is I was going into the military to try and get clean and get my life together. And the barracks were, um, it was all one big party, man. You know, everybody was there first time away from home. Women are, you know, first time away from home having fun. I mean, it was all nuts. Everybody was drinking. And so, of course, I started um, drinking really heavily. I started um, using Coke again i started using meth again in the army yeah heroin here and there but i was like you know i got to stay away from that you know and um and then you know the only person that would write me in up here in commerce city was this lady and uh she would write me and uh you know i'd write her back and uh and my first duty station was uh colorado springs fort carson and i was like damn it man i was trying to get the hell out of colorado and they send me back after boot camp and ait and you know, and they sent me back to Colorado, Colorado Springs. So every weekend I was down here in Commerce City and this girl, she was a squatter at the time, you know, because everybody I knew was just like me. You know? So she was, they were living at this house and they were squatting at this house. And so we'd go down there and one big party and, and um, um, she got pregnant. I ended up getting her pregnant. And so I was like, I got to at least try and make a honest, you know, woman out of her, I guess. I don't know, out of me, you know honest man out of me, whatever. So we got married. We had our first kid, um, in Fort Carson at Evans hospital. And then I was sent to, um, uh, Fort Lewis, um, Washington. And so my second daughter was born out there and out there, you know, um, you know, the interesting thing is one day up there in, in Washington, she wanted to come. I was just drinking. And she, we'd been there for about a year and a half, and um, she wanted to come and see her mom because she was kind of like, you know, she was kind of a kid that, that her parents really left her and just rented this trailer in this, in this, in Tomford Trailer Park, if anybody knows where that is, you know, yeah, in Commerce up there and just kind of left her, yeah, you know, and um, 
because the mom had a boyfriend that didn't want kids. The dad was too caught up with his new family. And so her and her brother were just there. And, and um, anyways, when she, so she, her mom wanted to come back in her life and she uh, jumped on a plane uh, to come. You know what's terrible about me? I was thinking about myself, like, why did I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But she wanted to come see her mom. So she jumped on a plane to come. I dropped her off at the Seattle SeaTac Airport. And um, I went directly, after I dropped her off, I went straight to go pick up a hooker, you know. Um, I mean, at that, at that point, not for sex. Not that, not that I'm above that, you know. <laughs> I, I just did that because I knew she knew where the dope was. You know what I mean? Everything else comes later, but, you know. Um, so I, I just, and, and I had not planned to use. I just planned to stay drinking, you know what I mean? And that really shows how this disease you know, I always say this disease is real. It's got a heartbeat of its own. It's yeah. alive and well. And it reasserts itself in this process all the time. You know, it, I'm just, I, you know, I, I tend to think that I have all, that I'm the one making decisions. This thing is in control. And anything that, you know, the, any little thing, crumbs that I give the appetite, it's going to grow and be a monster and, and show up one day. You know what I mean? And so for me, you know, I can't smoke weed. I can't, you know, just drink. I can't like feed it any little crumbs because it will show up and it'll keep me sick. And I've learned that through this process. You know, I've bumped my head a lot and it's always whatever crumbs I'm throwing to the disease of addiction, you know, um, cause this thing is real. Like I said, it's got a heartbeat of its own. So I was off and running again, you know, and then she came back and I was like, damn, you know, strung out again. And, um, and then we, you know, we stayed up there and then um, things started going bad and, and then I got out of the military, came back to Commerce City and started hanging out with some people who were manufacturing. And, and you know, that's uh, that's one fix I wish I would have never fed, you know, um, because that was crazy. And so uh, this was in the, the, you know, mid to late 90s. And so back then it wasn't like it is today. And it was just it was crazy. And I got caught up in all these big rings and, um, you know, People were dying all the time because everybody was using, you know, heroin, crack, meth, and people were dying. People were going to prison. And, uh, you know, I was, um, my wife had left me and uh, I was in this trailer park on 13th and Sable, you know? Yeah. And um, my, we were, he had been living there. My wife left me and she took the kids and, and I was manufacturing there in there just a little bit enough to like sell and, and stay high off of whatever. And, I convinced her to, to come back. You know, I said, I'm, come back. I'm going to get clean. I'm really going to do it this time. And, um, and so she, she said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. That night I took everything out that I had. Um, and I took it to this lab that we had on, you know, in the Baker district and, um, put everything there. And then I just had enough, a little baggy enough to get high the next morning, you know, and, and, uh, she came back and that morning, um, I realized I was like, I can't get clean. And she's here and there's, I, I just can't get clean. So I thought I, in my mind, and I hear this a lot from people. Mm-hmm. I thought I just got to get her away from me because I'm going to destroy her life and mine. So I'm sitting there and we're in the kitchen in that, the, the trailer. And I'm just like, you F and, you know, or you B, I can't stand you. You should have never came back. Get the hell out. And I was just degrading her because I wanted her to leave, you know, and uh, I'm filing for divorce. And when that was happening, I heard a knock on the door. You know, and uh, my ex-wife looked and she started screaming. My kid, my middle daughter was jumping on the couch in the living room. You know, it's the trailer. My other daughter's sleeping in, in the room. And next thing you know, the door busts open. And um, I ran over to where my daughter was and I jumped on top of her. And um, uh, I didn't know if it was the cops, if it was people looking for me, if it was people I was running with. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And I jumped on, I saw from the, the side of my um, eye that um, my ex-wife and my daughter were thrown to the ground. And I jumped on top of my kid and I started kissing her on the cheek and telling her I'm sorry. And I started crying because I thought we were going to die. And, and then you heard all the guns and they said, you know, turn around, turn around, turn around. And, and uh, I had my daughter and I turned around. She was five years old and she woke up and it was all the Ninja Turtles, you know, and they had uh, guns to our heads and, and uh um, my daughter started shaking uncontrollably. I've never felt a kid with that much fear in their bone, you know, and um, and they snatched her. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? You know, and they snatched her from my arms. And um, 
and they arrested us, you know, and, um, and I just thought I, I gotta, I gotta do something different, you know? And, and so as they're arresting us, as they're taking me away, you know, I just like got done talking all this crap to my ex-wife. And as they're taking me away, I'm like, I love you, bail me out. And she was just like, you know, <laughs> F you go to hell, you know? And, uh, and so the good thing is they, they hit a day too late. You know what I mean? They just found a little bit of dope. They ran, they destroyed everything. And uh, so she left. That was it. And uh, I was back on the streets. Nobody would allow me in their house. My parents wanted nothing to do with me. My sister wanted nothing to do with me. My siblings wanted nothing to do with me. You know, I remember my sister would say one, one time she said, I-, I hope you overdose and die. I just want you to die so that we can then grieve and move on because we're stuck. You know, she told me that. And and it, it, I was just like, damn, you know, I didn't understand it then, you know. But she said, I just want you to die so we can grieve and move on. We can't move on with you like this, you know. And um, so so I was back out there on the streets. And then um, um, my ex-wife had gotten this place on 13th and Xenia, you know. And so <laughs> you went from one side to the, other. to the other, you know. And so. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to get clean this time. I promise I am, you know? And she said, okay, I got a month left on my lease. If you can get clean, I will renew the lease. If you can't, I'm moving. So I couldn't get clean. I moved in and I could not get clean. I I really wanted to, but I couldn't. There was no other way. There was no other option but to use. And so she left and I stayed squatting in that place. I mean, I was just, I wasn't even squatting. I was just living in this, um, you know, I think I had like, two pairs of pants, two shirts, and, like, two blankets, you know. And um, I was in that apartment, um, knew that one day they are going to, you know, rent it out. I'd sneak in and out through the window. And um, there was a point where the desire to live just for a fraction of a, of a you know, a half an inch outweighed the desire to die because I wanted to die. I wanted to die, and I told myself that – let me back up. So my cousin ultimately could not get clean. And, um, and he really tried. And uh, he couldn't get a job because of all of his felonies, all of his prison stuff. You know, n- nobody would give him a chance. And he couldn't get clean. And he walked into his house in California, and he um, put a gun to his head, and he blew his brains out in front of his wife and his three kids. And, um, and you know, I ran over there, and... Uh, you know, there's his mom was the first on site and she was trying to put his brains back in. I, I can't imagine a mother going through that. And and I ran out of California. I said, I'm never, ever stepping foot in this town again. I hate this place because of that, because of the homelessness, because of all the crap that I went through hitchhiking and the people. And, you know, and I just said, I will never, ever go to California again, you know, and, and, and I left and that's how I ended up here. But then so fast forward, I'm in this apartment on 13th and Xenia. And I'm like, I don't know if there's anything out there. Um, I need to do something different, you know, because I knew that my cousin got out that way and I was going to, I planned my suicide. You know, I hear people saying, you know, I wanted to kill myself or I was going to kill myself. I couldn't do it. For me, that's where I was. I wanted to die and I was ready to put myself to death, you know. And so I called this place. It was a, a TC called Synergy. And, um, they said, yeah, you got to come in. We're calling your probation. And they felt very, I don't know, like, like they were coming at me and I just didn't feel it, you know? So I called this other place, Stout Street Foundation. And they said, you know, come on in, man, we'll help you. And I went in and they said, no arsons, you know? Um, and I said, well, I have an arson. I'm an arsonist, you know? I love fire. I love watching burn down, you know, 2513. And um, so, uh, so, so um, I said, I pled my case because I said, I'm going to die. I'm going to friggin' die. And they let me in. They said, we'll give you a chance, you know. And every day I'd go to the counselor and I'd say, Cheryl, when am I going to jail? And she said, Osvaldo C, because you can have nicknames, you know. She'd say, Osvaldo C, get back in the group. You're not going to jail. And I did that every day for about a week. And then she called me into her office and it was her and Doc Wilson, the, the clinician that was there. And they sat me down and they said, Osvaldo, see, today you're going to jail. The bounty hunters have circled the building and they're here for you. And I was like, damn it. 
So I went um, to jail. I stayed there for a bit. I got out. I went back to Stout Street. And at, at a month when I was there at that time, when you hit your 30 days, they would take you to go get fingerprinted to see what came out. Well, in between the time I got out of jail and stayed there and finished my 30 days, we went to get fingerprinted and five other warrants hit, you know? And so I went back to jail and I stayed there for a minute. And then um, I got out and I went back to Stout Street. And then two weeks later, there was another warrant out and I went back to jail. And then that time it was, it was the old Brighton um, County Jail. And I was sitting there for a bit and then I got out. I think it was three months that time. And then I got out. And as I was getting out, one of the guys I got high with was getting out too, you know, getting processed out. And he's like, I know where we get some dope and da da da. And, and I was like, holy crap, man. And even though I had some time clean at that time, I didn't have the strength to say no. So we got out and I started walking down the street, down Main Street with him. Um, and, and I got real scared. And I said, because uh, he said, it's right down the street. And I said, you know what, man, you should go see if uh, um, it's okay that I'm with you. And uh, he said, all right, hold on. And, and as soon as he got like three houses into that block, I turned around and I ran and ran and ran to that Safeway that was over by the old jail. And I called my sister and I said, come pick me up. Come pick me up and take me back to Stout Street. I, got, I, I can't, you know. And I sat there sitting behind underneath those pay phones. She came and picked me up and uh, took me back to Commerce City. And uh, I knew that, you know, that this thing was way bigger than me. You know? So went through that, talked about all the abuse, talked about you know, childhood trauma, talked about all that. Cause I knew it was like, I got to just throw myself into this recovery to get, cause I just got to do it, you know? And so I did. And then later, you know, you had to go to, I got a divorce, blah, blah, blah. And then later um, had to uh, go to meetings, you know, you didn't really need to go to meetings, but they wanted you to. And I went and uh, I connected, man. And uh, well, I didn't at first, I was like, nah, this ain't for me. And I left and then I was going to get high. You know, because what I've learned is the disease of addiction, I, I, you know, as an addict, I'll use anything to change my chemical structure, people, places, things, sex, gambling, whatever, you know, whatever I can get high off, I'm going to. And at that point, I was doing some crazy stuff and some shady stuff. And I was and, you know, at some point, I'm going to throw myself in all these behaviors and then life's going to get unmanageable. And then why not use? That's the thing that brought me the greatest relief. So I will go back to using, you know, um, and so. You know, I threw my, I, I started getting sick and then I ran back to the fellowship that I'm in and I got a sponsor. I started working steps and the quality of my recovery just changed and increased dramatically. And I stayed there. And then I was about three years in and my grandmother who was, you know, I haven't talked about her much, but she was this old native woman, you know, and she was this beautiful, just native woman. And um, she would always tell me, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. You know, everywhere, wherever I was, she was always just saying, you know, you're, you're going to be okay, you know. And, um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go see her and I'm going to record her story, her life story. Because she, she had an amazing life story, this lady, out of poverty, you know, in a small village in, in uh, Mexico. And, you know, no running water and just this village. You know, she was a medicine woman for a village. And, and uh, so um, it was like September, October. And then her birthday was in March. So I thought, you know what? I'll just go on her birthday. It was back to California because that's where she was living. And I was like, damn it. You know, I got to go back here and uh, face a lot of these demons. And so January, she had had a heart attack in end of December. She was in the hospital. She was going to make it. Everything was fine. And me and my dad, because I got a good relationship with my dad after that. You know, I got a great relationship with my dad. And so um, I said, let's just go see her now. You know, and so me, my dad, my older brother and, and my uncle, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago, um, we said, let's go. You know, we drove down to California. We got to the hotel, which was about a mile away from the, um, the hospital. And, um, you know, my dad and I go into the hotel and my brother, and my uncle go get something to eat. And as my dad's going in to take shower, he was going to shower and then we were going to go to the hospital. I get a call from one of my cousins and she said, um, come quick, come quick, you know? And I was like, holy shit. So I banged on the door. Me and my dad take off running. We're watching the hospital and we're running, we're running, running. I'm calling my brother to pick us up, calling, calling. Nobody's answering, nobody's answering. And then my mom calls as we're running and I'm out of breath. I said, hello. And she said, does your dad know? And I said, no, what? And uh, she said uh, that your grandma died. And, uh, and I dropped the phone and we kept running. And my brother, uh, or my, yeah, my brother, the truck pulled up and we jumped in and we were silent. We went in there and um, we got there to where she was at. 
and uh and I climbed in bed with her and I held her body and I kissed her and we sang to her like we do. And uh, I just laid there with her, hugging her until they took the body. And I told her, you know, thank you. Thank you for always believing in me. And uh, she never saw me clean, you know, cause I started 11. So I learned from that experience to like always live in the blessings that we have and in the relationships that we have, cause you just never know, you know? And so I try and honor my relationship. I don't do that perfectly. And I try, you know, and uh, so I made a promise to her and my cousin who's buried out there, who, you know, I, I, uh, I loved a lot. And I made a promise to him that every year I go to California and I sit in my grandmother's grave. And then I drive from Oxnard and then I drive down to Paris and I sit with him. Every year I've been doing that for 23 years and um, I'm going back. I got to go back uh, December uh, 2nd is my uncle's birthday, his dad. And so I usually go around March but I haven't gone this year. It's just been a crazy year. And so, um, but I got to go before the end of the year. So I'm going to go the first week of December to sit in their graves and honor them and thank them, you know? And so with my grandmother, I got back into, you know, our native teachings and practices and, um, and I try and honor her in that way, you know, which gave me a spirituality that I never imagined, you know? And so, um, so then, you know, I went to school, I got, you know, a degree, I went back to school, I got a, another degree, I got a, a, you know, grad school, I, I started doing, you know, working it in the field, I'm still going to my meetings and fellowship and doing everything I needed to do to stay clean and trying to live this, you know, um, life, you know, and, and uh, not use and I haven't, you know, I've never picked up since then, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, and things just happen and it's not me, you know, it's, it's recovery and it's the fellowship that I'm in. And I just got to say that because I will jack things up. I will destroy things, man. I mean, my first few years in recovery were a nightmare, you know, of just me acting out in some crazy ways and just doing whatever, just to like, you know, feel crazy because that's at the core. I'm a, I'm nuts, you know, and, and, uh, and I need to surround myself with nut jobs like this guy, you know, <laughs> seriously, you know. And so um, so then, you know, recovery just happened. And it's never been me. It's always been the people around me. You know, Tomas gave me an, an amazing opportunity. You know, I couldn't do this, you know, um, without him, without Nani, without anybody. And so it's always the people around me, the spiritual principles that we live in. You know, not to say that we have to, like, float on air and do this thing perfectly because I like to screw up, you know. And I do you know, like to act out in certain behaviors and, and act stupid and, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, but I try, you know, and, and that's all we can do. And, and uh, you know, and life just happened. And, you know, I got a, a, a really amazing girlfriend right now, you know, and, and uh, she's awesome and she works a program. And, um, you know, I got my kids. I got, you know, I live with some relatives, some animals. You know, I started a nonprofit that's small because, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. I don't got time for it, but I will one day. And, and um, um, yeah, and so, you know, I don't know, that's my, st and I'm here today, you know, and, and um, that's not me, you know, that's the power of recovery, because, you know, as a, um, I was just this broken kid who tried to, like, figure out how to live, that's it, you know, and, and um, I, I, sometimes I don't like telling my story, because I used to say things up in meetings, and then I would think, you know, um, some people would be like, well, I never experienced that or whatever, you know, and, and it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't have to, there's a, there's a line in, in our literature that says, um, that we all have the shared experience. So it's like, I may not have experienced the same thing that Nani did or the Tomas did or that you did yet. When I listen to you guys, I can understand why you did that, you know, that stuff, uh, 1459. And, um, I can understand why you do that stuff. Right. Because I understand the thought process, you know, so we have this, this experience and, um, my life is surrounded by nothing but addicts, you know? Um, and that's the way I like it, you know, addicts in recovery and, and my whole life is about service. You know, I do service work with, you know, um, I mean, I don't even think Tomas knows this cause I try and hide it from him because I'm always worried about, <laughs> but I work uh, 1426. And so I, I have a part-time job at Denver Public Schools and I, I write curriculum for the native kids. You know, after work, I write curriculum. Like, I did tell him one time, he goes down to Mexico City, like the mafia kills therapists down there. Yeah, they did. And he's they down there with his dad. And his dad's over there drinking tequila and he's over at a damn 
therapy place trying after <laughs> yeah. oh they killed them all so i'm filling in yeah. like get out of there yep. try and get try out of there you know what i mean but i'm never gonna yeah. stop you from doing it but you know what yeah. to comment on it makes sense you know from where your grandma instilled that to you you were the first person that i ever seen of my own race get clean and i yeah. said i wanted that and we're here yeah it's crazy and we're here you know, we recreated a community offer. I remember sitting in that coffee shop and you go, I go, how much would it cost? You go, 150. No, 110. Give me 80. Give me 90. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? But, you know, we had that conversation like, and, and I found it and you're here and, you know, our ancestors found that money. Yeah. You know, and, and they keep finding money for us. You know, like yep. everybody that's listening, we are not some textbook college-made organization. No. It's all heart and it's all recovery. It. It's a love for people in, yeah. in addiction to get clean. Like we will outwork anybody out there. Yeah. Because you know, we care. One of the things you said. And that's it. That's me. Ozzy, one of the things you said about yourself is you were like, I'm crazy. But – Man, all the, the I've been sober now for seven years as of September 11th, and all of the best people that I have met in the last 10 years have all been people that were in addiction. Yeah. Like they're the most real, <laughs> down-to-earth, open, honest, loving, with experiences, shared experiences, and experiences that I, that I would never think of in my life. Um, and people who... Sometimes I'll, I'll sit there and listen to somebody talk and be like, 20 years ago, I would have thought you were the most terrible, racist, sexist, homophobic human being in the world. You know, not talking about you, just guests that we've had. And, um, and they still they, are. They, <laughs> no, <laughs> and they've, they've, they've made such huge changes that now I would say you're one of the most wonderful, amazing, loving, caring, open-minded people in the world, where they used to be the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And they're all people that have been in addiction yeah. who have just made the most tremendous, amazing changes. And they might be crazy, but they're, they're crazy awesome. Yeah. You know? And you fall into that category, too. Recovery, you know? man. Nothing like it. Thank God, you know? For real. It's, you know, it's a crash course. You, you know, God, our, our gods know what, what they're doing. Yep. I wouldn't trade well, it for the world. Even the embarrassment. Yeah. The worst embarrassment makes me me. The mistakes that I got ahead that I got to pay for is going to make me even me even more. You know, um, there's a thing that I always say. I was telling... Julia was feeling feeling bad out in Vegas the other day, and I was like, you know, this how I tell you, I, I have this thing about humans fly. You get up on a cliff, you don't have a cape, you have no superpowers, there's nothing whatsoever that's gonna gonna help you up there, but you jump off that cliff anyway, and you're gonna hit dead smack on the ground and bust your face open, and that's how humans fly. But when you when you're flying and soaring through that air and you got your arms up whether you're flapping them and you're doing whatever things that you're gathering you're learning through soaring through that that air on your way down to that ground that's where it counts man that's where it matters because you're always going to hit that ground that's just life you're going to hit the ground you're going to hit the ground no matter you just got to have the courage to get up on that cliff and do it again mm-hmm you're going to have to cliff and do it again. But I would rather hold, what do we have, almost 60 employees now? Yeah. 60 employees' hands, and we're up on that That's cliff, crazy. jumping off that cliff together. Yeah. Crazy as hell, awesome. laughing. It's awesome. Saying the most inappropriate jokes yeah. on earth. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's good and stuff. And eating chicken. Yeah. I love that. Except <laughs> <laughs> Nani. Except Nani. Yeah. She, she doesn't eat the chicken. Me, no oh, yeah. Chicken she doesn't eat chicken. That's she right. eat the chicken yeah. and she doesn't get jumped in. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Neither one okay. of those. Okay. No, no. no, man. But, you know, recovery has been really good to me. And, and um, um, I've had a lot of fun in recovery. I've learned to, you know, travel, do things, and uh, things I would never imagine, you know. I mean, I hear people at meetings say, you know, my what is that? My, my best day high is 
not as good as my worst day clean or whatever. That's some crap, man. I've had some great times high as hell, but, uh, <laughs> but recovery there, I would never trade it for any of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You would never, I wouldn't be here. I, and I still won't. I know that at 23 years, I know that I, I'm not above a, a relapse, man. I can, I can get high anytime. You know, because my my addiction has taught me that I'll look, I'll use people, places, things, whatever to change this chemical structure. You know, I think Aubrey texted he needs some gas money. He sucks at his job. <laughs> Aubrey knows what he can do for that gas money. Uh-huh. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey Mahai, if you're just tuning in, Aubrey is a previous guest and um, a best friend of Ozzy. Um, and um, want to thank Aubrey for, yeah. for when he came in to speak, also. Amazing um, story. So what does your day-to-day job consist of as the senior director of clinical services Oof, man, at Tribe that's Recovery? A, that's a big task there. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it mainly consists of not being able to get to my personal job duties. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I got a great team and they help, you know, support in, in any way. We just, we got a lot to do and... Um, you know, a lot of uh, discussions with the clinicians, with the navigators, a lot of discussions with the the participants, always in there with them, talking to them, um, you know, working on a lot of state regs, audits, Medicaid claims, just trying to make sure that we, um, that, that we're surviving, you know, so I'm just part of the team. Mm-hmm. And that title is, you know, whatever. It's a cool I'm, title, though. It's, it's, a, cool it's title. a cool title. It's a cool title. And, title. And I'm just part of the team. So that's when- it. You know, Nani will tell you. What happens when somebody first comes through the door, somebody's coming through the door, and they want to get clean, and they're looking to you guys for help? What, what would they expect when they come see you guys? Um, well, they're going to expect, uh, they'll expect a friendly face. They'll expect, mm-hmm. you know, us, uh, they'll expect a UA. <laughs> <laughs> and a search. <laughs> so don't try it. But um, <laughs> no, you know, they, they, they can expect that, they, yeah. that we're going to try the best to help them. Yeah. I, that's it. Yeah. You, know, you get it. a cup of coffee or go see Maurice. Yeah. Um, you'll eat, see one. Get you something to eat. Yeah. You want to lay down on one of the couches, kind of yeah. get it together. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of exactly. go outside, smoke a cigarette. Somebody's got a vape there or something. Yep. You know, just kind of get a feel of the place. You know, we're, we're right downtown, right in front of Alma, Alma Park. Yeah. You know, we don't have, we're not built on pink clouds with m- moons and canoes and rainbows oh. and all that stuff. We're, we're a screaming gorilla out in the front of the hood. Yep. That's right what by it is. DICP. We're right next to the oldest and coolest uh, community center, you know, Chicano born community center in, in Denver, Denver in a city parish, man. It's, it's cool over there. I, we really, you know, we know the neighborhood. Our, our neighbors love us. We love them. Even the people that live on the streets, they know us. They love us. We love them right back. We, we, we watch out for each other. It's really, it's, if you think about it, you know, like, I could literally be in tears of joy sitting outside. Because, I mean, I drew this company on a bar napkin looking at, <laughs> seriously, yeah. looking outside a window at Colfax. And I just didn't want to create something, some cheesy treatment center, man. Like, everybody gets some cheesy, I'm going to do this thing. Like, no, nah, man, I want to I wanna create something that everybody could be part of like i tag screw a tag i don't care about a a role i just i'm just happy doing my part mm-hmm. doing my part yeah. i don't want to be a clinician i'd be the <laughs> most terrible clinician ever. yes yeah yeah get it together man Good <laughs> yeah, Nani, how you doing in the corner here? Doing good. I just wanted to say, I think Ozzy, something that you pointed out that I really love that you've said that I've I've heard other long people in long term recovery say is that you do the same thing now that you did when you first started in early recovery, oh, yeah. and I think that's huge, right? Huge. Yeah, yeah. and I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, the biggest yeah. thing that you do is got hold to. people yeah. accountable. Right. Like I remember when you said I, when we got him on, on staff, he goes, I don't know if I'm your guy. He was looking <laughs> around. I don't know if I'm your guy. I go, no, you're the exact guy. Because, you know, even with employees and stuff, he holds everybody accountable. Because at the level that we're at, it's just like I even had my mother say the same, the same thing your sister said. Because sometimes we're at that point. Maybe you just, just die so we can get over this pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And when you come to Tribe, we're the last house on the block. We literally yeah. took over the last house yeah. on the block. Yeah. They shut down, and the last house on the block moved over yep. to, to our building in the back. We literally yeah. are the last house on the <laughs> yeah. block now. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's uh, it's really that simple fact is when you came up, came aboard, we have to have somebody on the clinical side that says, hey, I'm not going to put up with it. Mm-hmm. This is who you are. Look in this mirror. What are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do now? Like, there's, there's nothing left. There's nothing. You can have some coffee. You can have a cigarette. You can think about it for a second. But if you walk down that road, there's jails, institution, and death left. That's Let's get it. you clean. Let's get you clean. Yeah. Right. You know, I'll, I'll end really quick with uh, the, my first friend, Clean. <clears throat> we got a job together, you know, and we were 18, 19 months clean or whatever. We got a job together. And right before that, he started getting high. And I know what dope looks like, you know. I know what it looks like in your face. And I always say, I get this urge to, like, lick somebody's face when they're on opiates, you know. I just get this urge <laughs> to do it, <laughs> you know. And um, oh, wow. I knew that he was getting oh, high. Wow. And I didn't want to, like, I didn't know how to address him, you know, and how to say, dude, I know what you're doing. And it was all the excuses. I'm just sick, da, da, da. Well, we were working at the same place together. And um, I showed up at work one day, and he was on the front of the door, and he was blue. And he had overdosed, and he was a, a shade of blue that I'd never seen before. I'd seen a lot of people overdose and die, and and uh, so I don't I don't know how long he was there. I don't know any of that. Then I to, I told myself at that moment I will never again be a part of somebody else's relapse. I don't ever want to feel like that again. Like I should have said something. And so I do say stuff. I do hold people accountable. And, you know, and I, and then I, I self doubt myself. I'm an, I'm an a-hole. I'm, you know, they don't like me, da, da, da. Cause I'm human. Right. And I just don't, I always want to be honest and um, real with people because I don't ever want to be a part of somebody's demise anymore. You know, I've done that too much in the past for my own selfishness, seeing that changed, you know, and it, it was, it was something that changed me for good and so, you know, I just want, you know, I try and just address everybody and just be honest with them and hold them, you know, accountable as I want to be held accountable. And, yeah. and um, you know, and it sucks sometimes because I am human and I don't want to do it and I don't ever want to feel like that but again. But that's that common balance with spirituality. You are that balance. Mm. You're the boss. You're the heart. You're the brain. I've never seen anybody put programming together like you. You know, you took me and Dan's simple housing situation so we're living and took it to another level that i could even dream and accountability with recovery your amount of recovery you know so i mean that's a lot that i'm saying everybody on, on the air and he's all that i'm not just trying to promote a company i'm, I'm promoting I'm, I'm talking about a true realistic value of a man here that's and that's something in that if you were listening to the story please go on youtube and rewind and listen or listen it again and again because he helped me get clean. Like I seen him walk in with get multiple years with his kids. I was in Stout Street too, with barely even hours clean on what they called the Christopher Conway night, mm-hmm. Christopher night. My head shaved, and I saw him go get his coin, and I thought it was staged. <laughs> I seriously, I thought it was staged. I had no idea that somebody could get multiple degrees and have their kids back and not look all strung out and talk like a regular human being and have an education and, and be in a place like that and then come from, from where we're at and still have his head shaved. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, but I mean, it was, it was just, it was there. Like, you know, I, I literally followed you all over the place because I was just that inspired, you know, you and Nathan Badia followed you guys everywhere because I got kicked out of that place. That was the two people that, <laughs> you know, I did. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's th- those were the two Hispanic gentlemen that I watched everywhere, everywhere, because that was the only two people that I seen of my own yeah. Latin descent that, that, that kept it together. So until I could figure it out, I needed to go where they're at. And then I found Richard Tapia, and then I found more people, and I found more people, and I found more people. And, we're here. You know, and, and it was, and now we're here, and 
what's cool is like I'm doing the same thing that, you know, I got people that come up to me and I have no idea that I'm helping them. Yeah. None. It's true. Now I got that responsibility myself. And now Slim's got it. No idea how many people look up to you on a daily basis. I'm just glad we're all here. I'm glad we're all here. Mahi, this is sharing our stories. This is a program about addiction and recovery. It is brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. You can check them out at triberecoveryhomes.com. You can also give them a call at 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-608-7428. If you're looking for a pathway to your recovery, it all starts with a phone call. Um, it just starts with wanting it, really. More than the phone call, it starts with you want it, make a phone call, and we'll help you get it. Um, we want to give special thanks to Caring for Denver. There are so many resources available to help with addiction and substance misuse recovery and caring for denver is the organization that helps our recovery community stay connected to better assist our denver community for a list of mile high resources and um, ways that you can find that pathway to your recovery text sos to 303-597-1015 that's sos to 303-597-1015 and we have got resources available to you right now want to thank you for tuning in to us this is sharing our stories our guest has been ozzy cabral osvaldo cabral from commerce city um he is the senior director of clinical services at tribe recovery homes and thank you for your time and that means see you again later i love it mile high there's a lot of love in this room it's the sharing our stories family and we'll see you again next week